Welcome to uh, America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Walter Kern. And this is, I guess, technically the anniversary week for 9-11. Are you one of these people, Walter, who has strong feelings on the anniversary of, of 9-11? You mean about how it's celebrated or just sort of organic inner feelings created by the anniversary? Either, either one. Well, I do, I do have very strong memories that come back to me. Yeah, because I, I was living out on a ranch at the time and uh, felt sort of way at the end of the supply line. And when it looked to me from television like the country was under attack and there was a point there that morning when we didn't know where it would end, I was like, how am I going to get gasoline uh, and, and a lot of other things? So the vulnerability of the day comes back to me. but. It seemed this year the celebration had a or celebration uh the, the remembrance had a different quality there the pause for unity didn't didn't ring out across the land you know <laughs> it was actually so biden had his official uh ceremony i guess i guess he was in he was at the pentagon uh they had another one in um in Shanksville involving one of the other members of the administration. I think it might have to look and see who it was. Some of these remarks were, were rather curious. Let's see what Biden said. Okay, it's not enough to stand up for democracy once or, uh, a year or every now and then. It's something we have to do every single day, the president said. So this is a day not only to remember, but a day of renewal and resolve for each and every American and our devotion to this country. So I thought that was, there was a little bit of throwing a bone to uh, his potential political enemies in the each and every American line. But the there's also a little bit of menace in the, it's not enough to stand up for democracy once a year. We gotta do it every day. I'm a, I'm a little apprehensive about like constant resolve pledges right now. I don't know how you can <laughs> Constant resolve for every single person over the defense of democracy, which wasn't really the meaning of 9-11 for me, frankly. I mean, um, a terrorist attack can happen on a non-democracy, too. And I don't and, and despite all attempts to frame 9-11 as as an attack on our system of government or something, I, I didn't feel that it was that at all. It seemed to be an attack as it was framed at the time by Islamic fundamentalists on a godless imperial society that they felt exploited and um, offended by. So yeah, the, the, the issue was we support Israel and we had bases on, in Saudi Arabia on land they felt was holy, right? I thought that was, those were the issues in the fatwa, at least if I remember correctly. Right. I mean, if someone wanted to stand up and say it's a day to defend Christian Western values, um, they may have been just as accurate or inaccurate as those who claimed it was a time to remember democracy. Frankly, in the comments, I heard a bending of the entire meaning of the thing toward current goals and current animosity, animosities, you know. Um, and when they say each and every one of you, I as as someone for whom surveillance and and sort of uh, privacy are, are are my great issues, I, I hear you know 
we see you. And if you're not saying, doing, and thinking the proper things, <laughs> the rest of this, uh, the rest of this society will know and and take action. <laughs> There's a there was a great detail in in one of those books about the uh, insider trading scandals of the '80s about um, Ivan Bosky uh, mm -hmm. that he used to sit at a desk that had visual readouts of all of his employees seated at their desks so mm -hmm. that he could see them um, working and they could see him watching them working so so that so that they would work harder and wouldn't spend time in the bathroom and so when you when you mention this whole like we can see you thing like i always think of that like this that uh you know this mania to watch every single person at all uh, at all times like there are actually are people like that out there um, oh yeah there are hundreds of thousands of them uh if we are convinced by the numbers of sort of secret access holders and, and, and NSA and employees and such. Um, they know so much about the rest of us. I wonder if it's hard not to, you know, burst open sometimes, you know. But uh, I, the other thing I was going to say about 9-11 was that I found this year a lot more people going, you know, what was that 9-11 thing about? Because as it recedes into history, there are a lot of people who are adults now who weren't conscious of it, who only know it through its, you know, framing and interpretation. And frankly, the, the, the doubts about it, about the accuracy of that framing seem to have grown over the years rather than receded. Um, you mean, do you mean like people, people who doubt the official story kind of a thing? Yeah, I mean, the more that they play the, you know, we live in the age of video editing and, and people who are very hip to, quote, disinformation and many who are indeed paranoid about every official statement. And I just saw the whole thing colored by a kind of skepticism about it. And I think it's because, in general, there's a sense of privacy disappearing uh, or being degraded. And a lot of people now look back to 9-11 as the moment in which the mechanisms to degrade privacy began in earnest uh, well, on, the, on the part of the federal government. Well, that's certainly true, right? I mean, yeah. there's, no, there's no question about that. Um, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time this week uh, on a story that is... is probably going to be out by the time this this uh, podcast of ours is out uh, about taint teams, um, which obviously played a role in the recent Trump case. But it's just it's, it's one of dozens of innovations that the Justice Department and the FBI and the whole investigative uh, apparatus came up with to circumvent rules that they felt after 9-11 that they just didn't have time for anymore, right? So, you know, the, the tank teams were invented so that governments didn't have to go through the process of, you know, issuing a subpoena and asking somebody to respond with a list of things that they think are privileged, you know? Um, Instead, they were just going to go into, let's say, a law office and take everything, and and we'll have our own privileged teams go through it, even though that's a judge's job. Uh, 
will do that. It, it, and, you know, there was a famous case involving a um, the lawyer for the blind sheik. Remember that case? Oh yeah, the yeah. blind sheik, the blind sheik who was involved with the first attack on the World Trade Centers, right? In the nineties. Right, right. He 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 was actually conv convicted of plotting future. Um, oh, okay, okay. Things, but um, but his lawyer was a woman named Lynn Stewart, who was kind of a Bill Kunstler type, mm -hmm. uh, you know, radical lawyer. And they raided her office and uh, had a taint team take everything, not just her files, not just the ones involving uh, Raman, but all the files of all of her, all the other attorneys in her firm, and all of their clients. Um, and they got a free look at all this stuff, and they began doing this. Uh, basically, uh, it, routinely in all sort of big raids of big organizations, and you know, in, in normal circumstances, they would have to ask for permission to see, you know, the privileged communications of, let's just say, a criminal defendant and his his or her attorney. And now they got around that. They just take this stuff and they say, oh well. We'll have a prosecutor who's not working on that case look at it and determine whether or not it's privileged. Um, and it's it's just one of one of a million things that happened after nine eleven that they just decided to do, like the Snowden the Snowden uh, you know surveillance programs, the NSA's stellar wind program. Like we just they just did it, didn't ask permission. There was no debate about it, you know. Um, and it's part of our lives and. Uh, I guess, you know, there's a whole generation that's that's grown up with that as their reality and they don't know anything else, which is which is crazy. Well, so for our listeners, taint is spelled T-A-I-N-T. And to call things a taint team proves once again that the Justice Department has no novelists or literary uh, figures on its staff. Uh, I think it's probably the last thing I would. I would call a mechanism for avoiding the specificity of search warrants. Um, uh, you know, uh, on the street, they often call being searched, you know, having a scope up your ass. And now they've made it official with taint team. That, <laughs> that is indeed what's, uh, what's happening psychologically. Uh, <laughs> now, you're telling me I, I'm the son of a lawyer, so I know very little of the law firsthand, but a lot from my dad yelling, um, that they don't have to be specific in search warrants anymore in the same way they used to. Do you think that in some ways this is a um, attempt to grapple with the, the world of smartphones and so on? Because when they snatch devices now, which, and devices in 2001 didn't include every single thing you do, and access to all your emails, texts, um, uh, search histories, and so on. But now a, a phone is is virtually a, a, a total record of your uh, interactions. And I would think there's a desire to look through the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that that issue inspired something that they um, that came to be known as the Magistrates' Revolt. Uh, because the government started to sort of willy-nilly taking uh, computers and phones and all sorts of electronic repositories 
of information, knowing that, you know, it had a lot more on uh, those devices than the stuff that they were being, that they were asking for in the search warrant. And rather than carefully looking through it for privilege, uh, privileged material, they would just keep the stuff. Um, and this, there were some very, very angry uh, judges who uh, fought back against this. I should read this quote because one judge um, named John Fachola, uh, who is in the District of Columbia, uh, <laughs> he he was noting that um, they, this was in a case involving a defense contractor who was suspected of a kickback scheme, and they they took phones, they took some other electronic devices. And he's reminding the government that it's illegal to um, refuse to return seized documents not returned in a warrant and writes, mm -hmm. he writes for the sixth time, this court must be clear. If the government seizes data, it knows is outside the scope of the warrant. It must either destroy the data or return it. It cannot simply keep it. Uh, and so he, he writes that, but he's overruled by another judge. Uh, who writes that um, uh, seizing and constructing probable cause later is okay uh, as long as there's, quote, sufficient chance of finding some needles in the computer haystack. Uh, so <laughs> this so, is so, 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 the, so the new, wow, so the new standard is that we can take a haystack if there's a needle, or they used a plural uh, version two needles in it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that's one ruling. Obviously, there there have been multiple courts that have looked at this. And, you know, there, there, there was a very famous case in Baltimore involving, and this is funny, this like, this again, gets gets you to the realm of those, the, the funnier dystopian novelists like, like Kafka. Right. So, you know, the, the government's going after a Jamaican drug dealer. Um, and so they not only go after the dealer, they, of course, go after the dealer's lawyer and charge that lawyer with a million things. And then when that lawyer gets a lawyer, they go after that lawyer. They raid that law firm. They take everything from that law firm. So now now you're going after the lawyer of the lawyer of the target. Uh, and this is the this is the there's a hole in the bottom of the sea form of justice, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, pretty soon we'll all be in, we'll all be implicated. Um, <laughs> exactly, like yeah, it's it's like yeah, six degrees of of separation, right? Like you know, yeah. somewhere we're gonna we're gonna be in there. Um, but they, you know, they the the Fourth Circuit when they finally when when federal appeals court finally got hold of this case. Uh, they they wrote this blistering opinion that um, one lawyer pointed out to me contained the word rummage four times. Uh, mm -hmm. They were so angry at the idea that they were looking through all this stuff. Um, and there were quotes like, federal agents and their prosecutors rummaging through law firm materials that are protected by attorney-client privilege and the work product doctrine is at odds with the appearance of justice and blah, blah, blah. But 
you know, they just keep doing this. Even they they'll do it. A court will strike it down, and then they'll do it somewhere else. And you know, they go judge shopping, and it, 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 this is just kind of how things have worked since nine eleven. They you know they've they've asserted the right to do all these things from you know uh, searching your internet records or your medical records or whatever it is without your permission to you know drone assassination. You know, and and. Uh, you growing up in, in an America where you had to ask permission through processes is, is I think, I think that America is gone now. So you noted earlier that there was a counselor like lawyer involved in one of these challenges. I don't know what's happened to those sort of lawyers, mm -hmm. you know, um, where's Ron Kuby, you know, uh, if, if you remember in the big Lebowski, um, uh, Jeff Bridges crawls cries out that he wants Ron Kuby uh, to defend him. Um, it doesn't seem that there is an organized uh, counter uh, force on the part of the legal community against this kind of thing anymore. I mean, it used to be the ACLU w was, you know, on the case constantly. It used to be that we had these celebrity long hair lawyers from the 60s, basically, you know, who were out to take the most sort of sometimes unpopular cases in order to make uh, points. But America seems to lack that, uh, that urge anymore. Um, and when you say they assert things, there seem to be very few counter assertions. And frankly, if looking down the road at this, who wants to be a defense lawyer in this climate? Um, you, you know, to be a defense lawyer is to be a, a, a criminal uh, by association somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I talked to one of the, one of the lawyers at that Baltimore firm who got raided, uh, this, this guy, Kobe flowers, um, who, uh, actually represents a couple of the January 6th defendants, but you know, he's, uh -huh. he's much more of a civil rights lawyer. Like he, he you know, he, he started his career prosecuting corrupt cops, went into, uh, civil rights law. And that's one of the things he said. He said, you know, th there's, there are questions about whether or not you even want to be in, in the criminal defense business. Uh, and the, the entire community of progressives that used to care about civil liberties, they've just gone silent in the, in the Trump era. Uh, when you turn on the television, uh, you, you don't see them. You know, what you see are prosecutors or ex-FBI or ex-CIA. Um, it's all the people we don't expect to defend civil liberties that, that, that are visible, right? And so you're right. Like, where, where are those people? Like, where, where are those crazy lawyers that, that used to be some kind of constant characters in the American story? They're gone, right. right? Well, you know, when I was growing up, a conservative complaint used to be that, two, you know, a kind of was the dirty, hairy complaint. Uh, too many of these crooks are getting off on technicalities, you know. Uh, rights, I'll read you your rights. You know, you have the right to kneel down while I shoot you in the forehead, you scum. You know, um, and, and, and that was seen, I think, properly as a pretty retrograde attitude to have toward uh, civil rights. But I'm afraid it seems to have become universal in some fashion here. And, and, you know, and once again, I have to observe that a lot of what is 
denoted as political in a partisan sense now seems not to be. I mean, um, this continued apace under Trump, correct? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. The, 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 so the state Baltimore raid happened during Trump's um, presidency. Well, now he probably wishes it hadn't since it came for him. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the lawyer in his case cited that case in giving him this special master. So. Um, right. Right. Well, I mean, lest anyone forget what goes around comes around. And the, the, the idea that we're not putting up barriers to this kind of abuse uh, pretty much uh, makes certain that odd victims will arise, people who never thought that they would be the butt of this stuff. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump now needs a William Kunstler or Ron Kuby. Um, and, and, you know, he's taking, I guess, whatever form of those people still exist. But, you know, taint teams, or whatever they call them, come from, you say, inside the Justice Department, or they're appointed they were just created by the Justice Department. They they now have a special office that does it, but it's just a thing that, that the farthest back I could find a reference to it was in a 1979 uh, manual issued by the Attorney General. Uh, but they just created the concept. So like when they when they do one of these big raids, they'll they'll just grab a bunch of lawyers from another office and dub them the taint team or the filter team or the privilege team uh, and then go in and have them conduct the privilege review right. which so they're ba they're basically a fig leaf for the taking of everything in other words they purport to be a protective uh a protective uh concept um oh look it's not just that we're bringing in a, a, a you know a a cat nine and scooping up your entire house and dumping it into our files. We've got a taint team involved, which makes it, you know, ceremonious or somehow, um, you know, more politic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and yeah, I was talking to one lawyer who, who was, who, who was um, involved in a case where he was trying to argue against this. And he, he recalled a conversation uh, that he'd had with one of the government lawyers. And the government lawyer is like, well, look, it's in our manual. You know, we can do this. And the guy's like, I don't give a shit what's in your manual. Like, that's not the law, you know, but the, the people, the people in the Justice Department actually think like that. They, they, they actually think, well, we have an internal procedure and, and, and we say it's okay, so we can do this. I mean, it, it reminds me of FISA courts, really. Right. Um, yeah. You know, a FISA court is is a court which is established to always rule in the favor of those who petition it, looking for access to stuff. You know, except one or three percent of the time when they have a problem, and then you come back and clear it up. But I mean, the the production of these of these kind of legal fictions that guard our civil rights so that our civil rights can be more ambitiously exploited um seems to be a feature of the era yeah i mean it's really amazing um you know you think you think about the 
the process by which they came around to giving themselves permission to, let's say, assassinate an American citizen like Al-Awlaki. And, you know, they write a memo internally that's secret. They cite a bunch of law, but nobody else has to read it. And then Eric Holder gives a speech to Northwestern University and he says, you know, due process doesn't have to mean a judicial process. <laughs> so right. we, we it can, can be it can be just me and my guys uh printing up a manual and getting it back out of the printer and reading it to each other and there it is you know right what what was the abuse or the the peril or the hazard that they cited as the reason for having these things in other words usually there's a you know a, a case or or some kind of uh, threat that is cited as the justification for moves like this. So this is this is a really interesting part of the story for me because um if you read if you read for instance the um opposition to uh the appointment of a special master in the Michael Cohen case, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, so that was written by Robert Kuzami, who was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in, in, in New York, the Southern District in New York. And basically his argument was, if we have to use a special master or go through the judiciary, uh, we won't be able to start our investigation until June. Now, this letter was written to the judge was written on April 18th, right? Right. So, so they're saying, um, they're weighing basically violating attorney-client privilege for a sitting president of the United States against a five-week delay um, of their investigation, and that and that's basically their argument is that this delays the process. Um, you, in, in the in the recent case where Judge Cannon gave the special Trump a special master, right. Ron's tribe you know, writes this, writes this thing in The Guardian saying it's like the worst decision in the history of uh, American jurisprudence or something like that, uh, because it, it, it delays the process. And he, talk, he talks about the urgent need to charge Trump as soon as possible after the midterm elections. Um, mm. So the only justification for this is that uh, it, it's a waste of our time. Like we, we have to take extra time to do this. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, why not just move straight to imprisonment? Uh, uh, the problem here is that this is really a recipe for political persecution um, going forward because it just, in, you can dislike a person, you can find them in some way uh, a competitor or a threat or, whatever. You can even suspect that they're disloyal, I suppose, to the country in some broad fashion. And you just go in with a friggin' Kirby vacuum cleaner, suck it all up, find those needles, you know, in that haystack. And I'd like to think that everybody has those needles. I'd like to think that one of the reasons there, there used to be a kind of uh, consensus about protection of our rights is that we were all vulnerable, that at least in some sense our behavior might be construed 
as, as possibly illegal or untoward. And so we sort of banded together as sinful or flawed human beings to, to uh, protect ourselves from this just kind of arbitrary super enforcement that could come for anyone at any time and really use anything as its pretext and then ultimately extract almost anything as evidence. Um, so I, I, I think that if I were a politician in the future, maybe one who wanted to challenge in a, a popular war or, or do something that might bring the wrath of the establishment down on me, I, I would really think twice as, as these instruments multiply and, you know, precedent is set. Absolutely. And then you, you, you also think um, if, you, if you're that kind of politician, where am I going to find a lawyer now? Right, right. Like, you know, one of the things that I learned in the story is that, you know, not only did they have they issued subpoenas to a whole bunch of Trump's lawyers, um, you know, but they're, they were doing things like seizing data um, from the computers and the personal phones uh, from the cloud via FISA, you know? Um, think if they had had this, think if they had had this in 1953 or whatever, right. you know, at, at the peak of the Red Scare, at the peak of a McCarthyist panic. I mean, they could have gone through, if their target at that time was Hollywood, say, or, or unions, um, uh, they could have gone, we would have had no beat poetry. Uh, we would have had no rising uh dissident community that ultimately flowers in the 60s they could have taken the thing out wholesale yeah there's there'd be no free speech movement at 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 berkeley right like they would have nipped that in the bud i mean somehow i i i just feel like the uh, martin luther king i mean oh of course he wouldn't have gotten started uh, you oh, know. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe to TK News at taibi.substack.com.